You are listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast, a show for women who are chasing their everyday and epic adventures. This podcast is hosted by Christy Moan and me, Katherine Taylor, and powered by Feisty Media. Well, that was amazing. <laughs> that was amazing. What, your dog peeing on the ground? all of it Come on. uh yeah we just had uh we just interviewed Kate Courtney so we're Yay! pretty excited yes I've wanted to have Kate Courtney on the podcast forever because as anybody that's listened for a long time has heard Lydia is a super fan of hers and so now I am definitely going to win the coolest Anna of the year you, award. and you got her to mention Lydia's name several times I know, I know. Lydia's gonna love it but I mean, I didn't even think we would get to have Kate Courtney on the podcast. So that was in and of itself. It's almost, it's like almost one upping Hannah Grant. <laughs> <laughs> well, at least you could talk this time. <laughs> I could. <laughs> um, oh, man. Yeah. Anyway. Uh, so that might, no, it's actually, no, it won't be our last podcast of the year. We'll have, we should have one more episode come out this year. Is that right? Let me look at the calendar. Actually, it's going to be our last podcast of the year. Okay. Yeah. So Happy New Year, everybody. Happy Merry Christmas. Merry Happy Christmas holidays. Happy New Year. So yeah, yeah, we're taking, all of I see is taking a podcast break between the 19th and the, and January 2nd will be when episodes come back out. Um, I can't believe that next week is already December 12th. That's crazy. Stop. That is my niece's birthday, by the way. Oh, nice. Perfect day for the episode to come out. That is the perfect Courtney says her name. You get to play that. You're done. You can't even, you talk about giving experiences. Aunt Catherine nailed it. (laughs) Yeah. And we're going to see Harry, the Harry Potter Potter experience in Seattle for her birthday. So like I am going to win the birthday this year (laughs) for sure. Um, What are are your family going to do for the holidays? Um, well, we're, we will do our, we always kind of just do a gift exchange, but like fun because, you know, we're very, very fortunate. So usually it's, um, just something fun like that, where it's goofy, goofy gifts and whatnot. Um, but yeah, will you get your new puppy a Christmas present? Uh, well, right now, I mean, literally with, while talking to Kate, there is a number one and a number two behind me. So, oh, no. so he I've, got a present. I've got to learn to navigate podcasting with puppy is that <laughs> this one was a fail. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, I'm batting, I'm batting zero. Literally. I'm like, I don't know who's training who at this point, but, um, uh, he just taught me you can't leave me out while you're podcasting. <laughs> That's amazing. This is why I got an almost three-year-old dog. I know. Because he can hold it. <laughs> it doesn't go in the house. It's okay. Last night he did that right after I took him out and he wouldn't pee. And then he peed. And I was on the phone with Tim and I accidentally stepped on his tail while I was trying to clean it up. And I was like, no, you know, like telling him it was no bad dog. Stepped on his tail. He starts yelping. And then Tim is giving me parental puppy advice over the phone. And I'm like, and you're oh, like no. no, you are not here. No. No. Mm-mm. So I'm like, I didn't hurt him. I, I mean, I did, but it wasn't intentional. Intentional. So was, yeah. Yeah. He's, he's not very big. So anyway. Okay. <sighs> well, so, we're just going to wish everyone a happy holidays. Yes, happy say holidays. That you were, we are, we saved the best for last this year. Although we loved every single person we talked to this year. It was a great year of guests. 
Um, but it was really fun to uh, to talk to Kate and to hear more of her story. Just one action item, because today is her collaboration is closing out. So when you, even if you don't get to listen to the podcast today and you just hear this intro, go on to, ah, give it to me, Catherine. Girl, get uh, after it. We'll put it in the it, show notes. Yeah. Yep. Go, go to girl, get after it on Instagram and um, buy a piece from the collab that they're doing. Cause it helps fund the foundation. So anyway, yeah. here we go. All right. Well, we'll see y'all in 2024. Hey all it's your editor, Lindsay here. I want you to get ready to ante up for the ultimate gravel challenge this summer. Join us at the 2024 trans Rockies gravel Royale where adventure awaits in the breathtaking Canadian Rockies. Experience the thrill of a unique three-day stage race surrounded by stunning scenery on secluded gravel roads in the British Columbia backcountry. With two distance options, the full pint or half pint distances, there's a challenge for every level of rider. And forget about logistics, Trans Rockies has you covered. Fully supported with tents, meals, aid stations, technical support, and even massage services, so all you have to do is focus on the ride. You'll stay at the picturesque Nipica Mountain Resort, nestled in the heart of the Rockies, and celebrate your achievements with daily podium awards, group dinner, and custom design memorabilia. After the ride, you can unwind at Chillville with cold refreshments, music, games, and camaraderie with your fellow riders. Don't miss out on this epic adventure. Register now at transrockiesgravelroyale.com and use the code ggg 24 GR100 to save $100 off your entry. The link and discount codes will be in the show notes of this episode. Embrace the challenge, conquer the gravel, and create memories that will last a lifetime. So go all in with us for Trans Rockies Gravel Royale this August. We have a very special guest, so um, which I'm pretty stoked on. Um, we've got Kate Courtney joining us. Hey. Okay, <laughs> hey, how are you today? I'm doing well. Thanks for having me and accommodating the uh, pre-training podcast slot. <laughs> that is okay. We we do occasionally like usually record in the afternoon, so if we seem a little like not with it, but occasionally we do like a morning recording, um, especially when we've had European racers. Yeah. So, um, I prefer them. I'm a little bit more alert, but of course, for me, it's 10 a.m. and for you guys, it's like eight. So different. Yeah. Yeah. I always say I have like A, B, and C time, like A time first thing in the morning. B time is like early afternoon. See, after nine, like I'm useless. I can't do anything. <laughs> <laughs> same, same. Last night, I've been going to this new run club, but they're trying to do this like winter warrior thing in Tacoma. And like, it's at 6 p.m., which it could start here at four right now. And I was like, right. I can't believe you guys are making me run at midnight. <laughs> it felt like. <laughs> we should be too. <laughs> okay. Well, back to bikes. Uh, yes. The first thing we always like to chat with our guests about, and actually I saw my niece on Tuesday, she's seven and she rides bikes and she's a huge fan of yours. And I said, what do you want me to ask Kate Courtney? Now I'm the cool aunt. And she said, well, I want to know how she got started riding bikes and how old she was. Awesome. What's your niece's name? Lydia. Lydia. Okay. Thank you for the question, Lydia. <laughs> um, I started riding when I was growing up. I lived at the base of Mount Tiam, which is 
uh, you know, famously like where the sport kind of got its roots. Um, and I just grew up kind of getting out on the mountain and I, we hiked, we ran, we explored, and I used to ride on the back of a tandem with my dad. Um, there's kind of like the overtold story of us getting blueberry pancakes, but it really is like a core memory for me. Um, just being able to like go be out in nature with my dad, um, reach these heights that I didn't kind of think I could and probably couldn't alone. Cause there were a lot of times on the back of the tandem that I pretended to pedal. Um, and yeah, I, I really fell in love with that side of mountain biking as kind of just a weekend activity and also a means of transportation and exploration. Um, and then when I went to high school, I ran cross country and was looking for a sport for the spring to cross train. Um, and track did not have those exploration and adventure uh, aspects to it and didn't sound quite like my thing. So um, I went out for the mountain bike team and then realized that that's, uh, that's really where my competitive spirit could shine as well. What year was that? Kate, just to get some context of that, like my freshman year in high school is 2009, 10, 2009, 10 kind of that's like winter, spring. And so that was with the NorCal league. Yes, it was. Okay. I just have been so impressed with what California's done with that, with the NorCal league in particular. It's amazing. And it's grown so much since I participated. I think, um, yeah, I actually was talking to a group of girls this last weekend about kind of my NICA starts. They're all grit, grit ambassadors. Um, and they were asking about those early days and I was the only girl on my team. So it was me and five boys. Um, but I just feel like that environment really was inclusive, but also made room to be competitive and serious. Um, and you score as a team. So they really need girls. Um, so I remember I was a good runner and I kind of got recruited onto the team, uh, by the captain, who's my now husband. So obviously that worked out. Okay. (laughs) Um, And (laughs) worked out for both of us, but I, they like needed me. And I just, I I've thought about this now, um, looking back, like there was a huge part of that structure and the way that the organization ran that created this feeling for me of like, wow, I'm really valuable on this team. Um, I'm really supported in trying to be my best on the bike. Um, and I think that really, that made mountain biking more attractive for me. It's, I love the fact that from that perspective of how it's more mirroring, mirroring cross country, where it's the team aspect plays a huge part in how, how you do. And it gives you a chance to not only succeed as an individual, but also with a group. So completely. It's cool. Okay. Can you just like, because we have a lot of gravel cyclists and more and more mountain bikers because of the Grand Prix that listen to us, but can you just explain the type of mountain biking you do and kind of the path to get to where you are? Because there's so many different types of mountain biking, right? And it can be, even when people have explained it, then I forget immediately. Absolutely. That is a very good question. And I think, um, Yeah. So we can start with like what the bike is. It's uh, more of an off-road setup than gravel. So I I call gravel like between road and mountain biking. Um, So knobby tires, often suspension, I would say now more suspension than not on the race course. Um, And usually it's like single track races uh, up and down. And at the World Cup level, which I would say is kind of like the 
the kind of model or the highest level of um, cross-country competition, which is what I do. Uh, it's about a three to 5K, usually 5K course um, with, you know, a lot of elevation gain, steep climbs, steep descents. Um, we have obstacles that are A and B lines. So there'll be like a rock garden or a drop or something else kind of scary. Um, and then a longer way around. And then you do five to seven laps. Um, so we're aiming for about an hour and 20 to an hour and 35 for the pro women to finish. Um, so that's kind of like the overall structure. And that really is just for those kind of like cross country world cup, um, Olympic distance races, but as is included in the lifetime grand prix, there are a lot of other, um, distances that you can race the same bike and honestly on similar terrain. So Leadville's, you know, a hundred miles. Um, and there's also shorter races like short track. So it kind of spans these distances. Um, but what I just described is really kind of like the main Olympic discipline that, um, I'm currently focused on. Okay. And then you, so part of that is you have to race all these races around the world, kind of like if you were in triathlon or UCI so that you get a better start position for the big race, like the world cup race. Is that correct? Yeah. So there's UCI points. Um, so that's, that kind of governs your start position and you can get UCI points, at all kinds of events. We have more like national level events that are rated on a scale. Um, and so the highest ones are HC races. Those have the most points. Um, nationals has a lot of points. Pan American championships has a lot of points and then world cup races have the most points. Um, so through a combination of hopefully having some good races at all of those levels, you work your way up in the world ranking. And you, and oh, sorry, go ahead, Catherine. Oh, I was going to say, and just if people don't know, you have won the world championship, right? You've had that rainbow jersey. I have. I did in 2018. That's awesome. Um, how, I'm, I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure I know the answer to this question, but like, how important are those points for that starting position? They are definitely important, um, but there's also some strategy to it because there are ways to get UCI points and kind of chase that ranking that just involves a lot of travel. Um, and I would say if you can show up and do really well in a World Cup, you will jump more points than if you race five smaller races. Um, so there is some strategy of if you're, if you're really feeling like you're going to be able to do well at those top level races, it's better to to optimize for those peak performances. Got it. Got and do you have to get invited to those races or is it? I don't think so. I race for an elite, um, a UCI elite team. So that means that our team like pays for all our registration and, and to be a part of the series. Um, and so I get to register under Scott's Ram mountain bike racing. I believe that beyond those pro teams, um, there are national team spots as well. So USA Cycling will sometimes send athletes, especially to the North American World Cups where we have more spots. Um, but yeah, you kind of, I think being on a team is the best way to get into this. And then does that impact for the US how you qualify for the Olympics? Because I don't know how the mountain bike teams qualify for the Olympics. And that you're chasing, you would like to go back to the Olympics next year. Is that correct? Of course, I would love to go back to the Olympics. Um, but I also think our sport is unique in that we have, similar to kind of ski racing, we have nine World Cups and World Championships. So there's a lot of sports where you really only compete at that level, maybe at Worlds every two years or at the Olympics every four years. Um, and for us, we're really like competing at that level 
pretty often. Um, so for me, the focus this year is just to race well in World Cups. And if I am able to achieve those goals, hopefully um, that puts me in a really good position to go to the Olympics. Um, but it's kind of, it's like a bait and switch goal setting yeah. I would say, because um, the real focus is just, yeah, being being able to compete in the front of those world-class fields. Okay. So there aren't automatic qualifiers then from your the automatic qualified top three at world championships last year, which um, none of us were able to do. And then there was one other, was there one other, I think it was like top three in the world cup overall last year. So there's, there's a few pre season okay. um, qualification opportunities in 2019. I qualified for the 2020 Olympics. So there, there are a few of those kind of like trigger um, automatic spots. And then this spring, there are a few opportunities as well, but there's also going to be kind of the discretionary option. So I think reasonably uh, whoever does the best in those first few world cups um, will hopefully earn that spot. Okay. Cool. I've been following Gwen Jorgensen's journey back to triathlon. And so trying to understand how like the different races, yeah. which is kind of similar, right? There's the world cup and then the WTS races and the yeah. automatic qualifiers, if you win a certain race. So that's where I'm, like asking all these questions from because I don't every sport qualifies so differently oh completely and I think I mean I think our sport has moved more towards discretionary pick which I find pretty appropriate I think um you know there's four women right now ranked in the top 20 it's awesome um and it's really cool to see that we just like have such competitive racers and honestly um in other sports like if you're ranked top 20 in the world you probably go but we only get to take two women so It's going to be very competitive to qualify. Um, And I think, you know, if you ask any of those women, like we do want the best person to go uh, and that is going to be whoever's racing really well this spring. Um, So if someone's getting on podiums this spring and they probably will get that spot. Um, And I think, yeah, for me, like I'd like to go because I earned that spot and I'm the best person to represent the country at that time. Um, And I, I think that, plays well into some of these more discretionary opportunities where, you know, if someone's consistently performing the best in world cups, um, it should be clear that they are in that spot. Yeah. yeah. That does make sense. Cause so much could, like you get a flat tie, something can happen in a race a mechanical. And then you're like, Oh yeah. Well, so-and-so won the race, but they're not necessarily the best. It gets tricky when we're all like next to each other. <laughs> when yeah. it's like 10th, 11th, you're like, Oh God, who goes? <laughs> <laughs> We'll, well see. It should be an exciting year and um, hopefully we all kind of push each other to raise the level. Yeah. I love that perspective. And how do you, how do you be, how do you balance that of being like a competitor and mm-hmm. also being for the other women? Because you are very much known for being for other women in the sport. Yeah. I just think, um, you know, at the end of the day, we're in a sport where like there's limited spots on the podium um, and you are competing against others for something that you really want. But I think it, for me, is a lot about understanding the value of competition and why, why I want to be lining up uh, in these fields. And to me, it's all about finding people to push you to your limit and try to go beyond it. And I think um, for me, I'm, I'm really fortunate that I've been able to kind of move up the ranks so that to push myself to my absolute limit, I'm racing the best women in the world. Um, And if, the women that are pushing me happen to be from the U S even better because five years ago, eight years ago, um, yeah. 
we were not competing quite at that level. And so to see like that big group, I think is a testament to how far um, our country's come in the sport. And that's something that I'm proud to have been a part of and honestly should celebrate. Um, but I think for me, it's, it's also understanding that I value that challenge and I want to perform at my best. And if my best means that someone else takes that spot, like if I had my best race and they had their best race, like that's competition. Um, and I think that's something you have to accept. And that's not uh, as personal as maybe some people choose to make it. What do um, you, credit? I mean, because I think that's a really good point. We're even seeing it in the gravel scene where um, really trying to elevate the American women's chances of podiums at world-class events. Um, you know, what do you think has been the big change in, in your sport to get more, to see more of those American women becoming more competitive on the, on the international level? It's a good question. I don't know that I know the exact answer, but I have a few guesses. Um, I would say, first of all, just the industry expanding. I think, you know, there used to be 30 women in an elite world cup and now there's a hundred women in an elite world cup and there's just more sponsor dollars that go to paying those women and women that are doing it full time. So I think that's a big difference is, you know, 20th place in a world cup is a name that, you know, who's on a factory team who does this full time. Um, and that certainly wasn't the case 10 years ago. Um, and I think also there's more of a visible pathway in the U S. So when I was coming up through the ranks and when I started racing elite, I had Leah as my teammate, Leah Davison and Leah, obviously, um, was crushing it. She was on world championship podiums. She was top 10 and on podiums in world cups. And I got to have kind of a first row seat to that. But at the time I was still quite, um, a bit younger than Leah. So there was kind of like this big gap that of like, okay, well, what are the steps to get where you are? Um, and she really directly mentored me a lot, but I think now, you know, Sevilla, Gwen, Haley, and I all grew up in NICA and like, wow. Yeah to race junior and then I race you 23 and then I race elite and I think just the stepping stones of like okay how do you go from here to there um became a lot more visible uh and I think also winning helps <laughs> that's true <laughs> but in terms of like putting yeah 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 putting like uh okay like not only is there this pathway but like those women are winning. They're holding the U S flag up on Red Bull TV, formerly Red Bull TV, um, and showing that it's possible. And I, I do think that has a, a big impact on the next generation wanting to pursue it as a, as a job and a career and to pursue that level of racing, um, which just gives us kind of a bigger breadth of athletes, um, funneling into those spots. Yeah. Well, and it also creates fandom, right? When people can see you racing, they see you winning. And from what I see, the women in the mountain bike world are quite good at also creating their own brands and yeah. understanding the value of that and letting people see that. And, you know, like I've told you, my niece is always like, can I watch Kate Courtney reels? Because she can find you and she can see you. Right. Yeah. And so that is creating fandom among people. <laughs> I'm just, I'm laughing because I'm having the realization that like, I don't want this to come off negative, but it's like, we're having to do it for ourselves again. <laughs> like, it's just like, it's just funny because like, really, 
you know, the, the impact that you can see that social media makes and the opportunity once, um, women are given a platform, even if they're creating it themselves, um, it's happening. Um, but it just kind of hit me funny that, wow, we're, oh, it's because we're doing the work. (laughs) Well, I mean, there's like, (laughs) I have a mixed feeling about social media always because like two sides of the coin, um, with that as, as we all know, um, but I, I think I've gravitated back towards a more positive view of it in recent times. And that's for a few reasons. But one of the main ones is, you know, 15 years ago before social media, if a female athlete wanted to tell their story, it was usually through journalists, which was probably a male journalist. Um, and they spun the story how they wanted and they asked the questions that they wanted. And I remember as a U23 racer, um, as an early elite racer, just getting like weird questions and like not what I wanted to talk about or how I wanted to represent myself um, from mostly male journalists. (laughs) And I think, you know, having social media allows me to tell my story from my own point of view and using my own voice and also to try to put out a message that I think will resonate and help the younger athletes who are hopefully looking at that and seeing it and saying, oh, you know, I can do that. I want to do that. Um, and, and can be, you know, represented in a way that's appropriate for that. Yep. Makes sense. I also wanted to ask you earlier when you were talking about your, the race schedule and the level of racing that you have to go through every year, how do you keep your mental health or your mental focus there with that many high pressure races throughout the year? Yeah. I mean, I love racing. First of all, I will say, so that helps a lot. Um, but I think for me, it's a lot about like identifying the races where we really want to be on that peak form. Um, and those can be like very focused blocks of training and preparing and racing. Um, and while I'd love to say like, I'm at a hundred percent focus all year, like that's just not sustainable. And I think you end up wearing yourself down. So I like to say like 90%, right. You're like, okay, my, my fueling is at 90%. There's like 10% of a lot of cookies, which are not bad. I will say (laughs) Um, there's, you know, my trainings at 90% perfect. And there's like this wiggle room of like riding with friends and hanging out and whatever I need to do to keep happy and motivated in that training. Um, and then for like that very short time in the year, you go to a hundred percent. Um, and I, I also think, you know, I mentioned like diet and training. I, I think it's actually more about lifestyle. Like for me, the 10% might be like being flexible to have a schedule that works for my family and that works to see my friends and, you know, drive up to San Francisco to go to a birthday party, like something like that, which is part of being a human being and, you know, is not necessarily like making you a better athlete in a very direct way, but I think makes you a better person, happier person and a more motivated athlete. Um, and then during those really focused periods, you can go to hundred percent and say, you know, I'll say to my husband, like, this is a focus time. Like I need support coming this way for this short block. Um, and then you go back to 90. And I think um, that's, or if you're in the off season, you go maybe a little lower than that for a short period of time. Um, but I think that balance is really important and like understanding that not every single thing you do has to weigh into like, is it making me better or is it making me worse? Like some things are just part of being a human being and maintaining that health and motivation for the whole season. That's a really good perspective. 
So that, that 90% idea for sure. So. Yeah. Well, I wanted to talk to you also about your new venture. You just launched the She Sends Foundation and we were actually starting to have a good conversation. Oh, Christy got a new puppy. Having a new conversation. <laughs> we were starting to have a conversation before and we were like, hit record just about the opportunities in the US scene. And so, I, yeah. How did you come up with the She Sends Foundation? What is it doing? And then what's your hope? These are lots of questions. What's your hope for what's going to happen in US racing? Yeah. Thank you so much for, um, yeah, being, being supportive of it. I have had kind of a 501c3 in the background for a little while running the scholarship that I've done, um, with NICA. And I've always kind of been noodling on like, what, what would really be the thing that I want to work on? And, um, my LLC is actually called She Sends Racing LLC. I think I called it that when I was like 18. Awesome. Um, and <laughs> for me, it's just like this idea of sending it applies so far beyond mountain biking. Like I think mountain biking is an amazing vehicle to learn these like skills of self-confidence, overcoming challenges, relying on a community, building a community, um, and gaining the skills you need to like take those next steps. And in my life personally, obviously I've chosen to pursue a career in cycling, but I find that that impacts so much off the bike and just my ability to kind of send it in other things. Um, so I'm sending it with this foundation and putting it out there um, to really hopefully make a difference in getting more women and girls on bikes and supporting, connecting and inspiring them um, in the U.S. specifically, but who knows where that will go eventually. Um, and the big kind of theme of it is to try and create more connection and community within women's mountain biking um, and use that to really support these programs that are increasing accessibility, getting more girls on bikes um, and really promoting those ideas of, you know, the self-confidence, the mentorship, the community building, not necessarily to build the next generation of racers, although I'm sure uh, some of those girls will end up wanting to pursue it, um, but to build really that next generation within our community that can ride, can love it, can have the support of the community um, and can take those skills and that firepower off the bike as well. That's awesome. <laughs> it was a long explanation, but you know, <laughs> but it's awesome. That's yeah. I mean, I just, I love it. And I, I love the name of it because it is, it's so applicable across, you know, all the different, like so many ways you can apply it sending it. So, yeah. Yeah. I know you've done a lot. Uh, you've done a lot with girls in Nike in the past. Is there a story or something that comes to mind where you've seen a girl, like take something from the bike and send it off the bike? Have you seen that impact? I think, I mean, for me, a lot of the girls that I've uh, worked with are still pretty young, <laughs> but, um, I'll, I'll just give one example and give a little shout out to little Bella's, uh, because mm. last weekend I went and I, um, did a Q and A and hung out with some girls that are in, um, NorCal grit. So they're Nike racers, they're in high school and there were 15 or 16 girls and 10 or 11 female mentors. And it was just, it was awesome. Like, it was just great to see, uh, that type of energy and, and that type of community really supporting those girls. Um, but I, I got up there and they went and introduced themselves and I had met, I think over half of them in little Bella's. Oh my gosh. Uh, on to mentor. And to me, 
that was just, it made me feel very old because they all showed me pictures where they're like infants and I'm the same. And I was like, okay, well now you're like an adult person driving. Um, But I just think to me, like to see them sticking with the sport and being beneficiaries of that community, but also building it. Like there was a grit mentor who emailed me, who put the ride together um, and who was helping create that space for other women in the sport. Um, I, I just thought that was a really powerful experience. And I think to me, that's part of why I wanted to have this umbrella organization to start to do more, um, to connect those groups and empower them and, and really celebrate what the bike does for women. It's, I, I'm glad you mentioned Little Bellas because that's just been another instrumental, you know, you talk about Grit and Nika, you talk about Little Bellas. I mean, those are earlier when you were talking about there not being a clear pathway. I mean, it's, it's yeah. setting that up right now, like from a young age of, of a pathway from when you're little and when it's, I'm just such a huge believer. And if you can see it, you can be it. And there's like, like Lydia, Catherine's niece is a perfect example. I mean, she thinks she can be it because she can see it. And it's just, it doesn't, it's not hard to envision it when you, when it's just there, it's just part of, it's just part of the fabric. And that's, those are the changes that, in my opinion, are the most impactful when it's just available. And, no, and I think that ever. goes beyond just racing. Like oh, I yeah. that uh, to hear that from Lydia and that she like ha- has these role models and this pathway. But I also think there's a pathway to just being like a member of the cycling community. Yeah. Oh yeah. It's not quite as defined. And I, I hope to contribute to kind of like creating this feeling of like a national community of women that you can grow into. Um, and part of the reason I, I felt that way is this um, kind of dual experience of being involved in these younger girls programs, but also like riding with women in my community. And most of the women I ride with are a little bit older than me. Um, I ride with two women who are Stanford doctors and just like these badass women who have really become my closest friends, my motivators and riding buddies, but also like really fundamentally, I think are going to shape the next phase of my life where I can learn from them. I can get advice and they're just, they are sending it. They may not be sending it uh, in world cup racing, but you know, hearing what they're doing is so inspiring to me. And I think I would love to see the cycling community be able to support both the young racers who want to be racers, like great, but also just the young women who are like, I want to go do something awesome and you need support and role models and mentors to go do that. Um, and to have the mountain bike complement that work, support that work and connect them to women who will be um, their ride buddies and also their kind of biggest fans and cheerleaders, which is what those women are for me. Well, and it is a sport that you can do outside of competition. It doesn't have to be at a race. And that's, I mean, that's the thing that I've loved the most about cycling and running and whatnot is that you can grab a buddy and go do it. Um, it doesn't have to be a competition. So, and the competitions are fun if you just go to participate. Yeah. I think gravels played a big role. We talked now we're full circle (laughs) talking a little bit about lifetime and gravel racing in the U S and I think, um, that's been really amazing to see the growth there. And also some of these events that are, they're more like a marathon um, where it's like, it's cool to train for it and do it. 
and to have like support and just making it to the finish line and feeling that sense of accomplishment, which I think is like, that's more fun if you're doing it as a, as a recreational sport. Yeah. And I think that's been, um, huge and growing participation in the U S yeah. Well, that's kind of, you know, I'm looking at like, you know, we, before we came on air, before we clicked record, um, talking about, you know, the Grand Prix and, and how it's elevated women's cycling in particular in, in the U S, um, and the impact it's had. And I think, cause we talked about this, even when the, when, even when the world cup wasn't covered, the gravel world cup wasn't covered, how gravel racers were so upset because it was just expected, like, that's how you do gravel. Like you cover, you cover the women. And the, you know, I think that one thing that the U S has led well in, um, in, in cycling has come out of that perspective of gravel of like, it's 50, 50, it's, it's equity at a start line. And it's been, it's been fun to, to watch and be part of it just because it, when you set that stage, then it becomes the standard and everybody else has to follow or they're called out which is great. I love the calling out. I was going to say, I, I think that also speaks to like the power of the community because when that came out, I mean, we were, everyone was like, nope, 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 <laughs> not today. Um, which I think is important just to be able to like have that confidence and advocacy of like, no, the new standard is that it's equal. Um, and, and we can advocate for that. Yep. And we're not going to accept it if we're not going to accept less, that's, that's just it. We're not going to accept less. So. Um. And so many men also, like, it's not just the women advocating for that. Like I heard from a lot of men who are like, this is not like yeah. maybe sometimes like more subtle inequality, like yeah, women feel it. And maybe it's not as easy to see on the surface level, but I felt like this was such a clear example where like we all wanted to watch the women. And I think, um, I'm so bummed. <laughs> Yeah, back to that going, you wrote my Saturday. <laughs> but like the women's racing is really exciting and it's at yeah, a really it level. And it's um it's not just like a oh, we should like for charitable equity, like make it the same. Like we want to watch the women. Men want to watch the women, fans want to watch the women. Um, and so I think that's like it speaks to not only the ability to advocate, the ability to see it. Um, but also just like the depth of the racing, the level of the racing has escalated to a fact that like, it cannot be ignored. Yep. Sweet. We solved all the so problems. We solved all the problems. <laughs> well, I did. So, uh, I did want to say one thing on the, what you're doing with she sends. And I like that you're doing it for all ages because one of our biggest podcasts in the feisty network is our menopause podcast led by Celine Yeager. If you've yeah. run into Celine before. And we've had women show up at some of our stuff and they're just like, they're mountain bikers. They've mountain biked their whole life. And they're like, I'm treated like I'm invisible when I show up because I'm in my fifties or sixties. And I think those women have a lot to give and they've kind of been like, they didn't have the path you had and they've been on their own their whole yeah. life of mountain biking. And I think they're like hungry for something like this, where they feel like they're also asked to, to give back and be a part of the community. So anyway. I just think there's some power That's there. Really helpful. And I mean, I would love, we'll, we'll take it off air after, but I would <laughs> love to connect with more of those women and, and hear more like how the community could better serve and include them. I think my hypothesis from the women I've talked to is like that they want to be a part of the community and also want to be a part of paying it forward. And I think that was a huge part of why, um, I wanted to start, she sends and, and, 
of course, I will have limited time next year. We talked about the bike racing, but um, over time, I'm hoping it grows into a way for women to both like connect with each other, but also to pay that forward. Because I think those women are the ride leaders and the organizers and the heads of the grassroots foundations getting more girls on bikes and really doing that work. And I would love to help connect and support in any way I can. Well, I would say that Kate Courtney not only sends it, but she also gets it. And that's pretty cool. (laughs) (laughs) Love it. Well, when will you start racing again in the spring? I know you've done some of the grasshopper gravels in the past, but uh, when you make it out to that, it's always like a little bit last minute, depending on how training. Yeah. But I would love to be low gap is usually the first um, time that I line up in the year. And uh, I'll be racing in March and then the first World Cups are in April. So that's in Brazil. And those are kind of the big, uh, yeah, the rubber meets the road or the trail, you could say, for our spring season. How far in advance do you get down there when you like when you go overseas? What's your what's your timeline for arriving for a race overseas? Yeah, usually it depends how big the race is and how far away it is. Um, For Brazil, I'm going to go a week early. Um, I have a new coach and he's planning to go down early with a bunch of athletes and and have a setup for us to race a more local race before the world cup. So I'll be there for three weeks. Um, so two full weeks before the first world cup start, which is, I think going to be extra nice mm-hmm. to kind of adapt and really be ready since those are kind of the, they're the hundred percent races that we talked about earlier. Um, but for smaller European races, like even getting there like Tuesday or Wednesdays, plenty of time. Sorry, Catherine, I interrupted you. Oh, nope. I was just going to ask where people can find uh, both the foundation and you. And then I do also think you're doing a collaboration right now, which this will come out next week. So if that's still happening, Uh, this will come out next week. So it's, yeah, it will be till next Tuesday. So, okay. So if you're listening to this on Tuesday, you can still get in on this so you can tell people. Okay, perfect. Um, Yeah, we did. So we just wanted to do something fun for the kind of launch of the foundation. And I ended up partnering with Girl Get After It, which is a um, community that's online and in real life in a bunch of cities, um, getting women connected to each other and out and active and kind of rethinking wellness. So that was a kind of inspiration to me in starting the organization. And so Cass, the founder of Girl Get After It, and I did a collaboration of more girls on bikes gear. So it's like tank top, a crew neck, some stickers, some hats, um, and the proceeds will go towards the foundation. Uh, you can follow the foundation at, at she sends MTV on Instagram. And then it's www.shesends.it. She sends it. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> <clears throat> and then I'm K plus fade on Instagram. And that's probably the easiest way to follow me. Awesome. Got my got my my phone out right now, getting it all <laughs> getting all the follows done. <laughs> You're gonna definitely want to want get one of those beanies, Christy. I know, I'm totally beanie, so. <laughs> or for our Canadian friends, a toque. Um, <laughs> that's what they call it. I don't understand. Um, maybe the Canadians <laughs> can tell us why. Uh, well, thanks so much for taking the time to chat with us today, Kate. It's been really fun to get to know you and to see your passion for getting more girls on sport and building the whole community of mountain biking. Thank you so much. I'm huge fans of what you guys are doing. And uh, yeah, we're all more powerful working together. 
You have been listening to the Girls Gone Gravel podcast. This podcast is edited and produced by the team at Live Feisty Media. If you've enjoyed the show, please leave us a rating. It really helps other women find the podcast. And be sure to follow us at Girls Gone Gravel on Instagram or Facebook.